So I think it was about 10 or maybe 15 years ago that I was uh, actually playing the piano and singing at somebody's wedding. Uh, something I used to do a little bit more of back then. You don't want to hear me do that now, especially the singing. But um, I used to do a bit of playing and singing at people's weddings in their wedding ceremony ceremonies. And I was playing a sing. Is there some music going on? Oh, okay, it's the background. There was some... some uh, I was playing and singing in someone's wedding ceremony, and I can't remember what the song was, but halfway through the ceremony, it was my job while the couple was moving up to the altar or something to sing this one song. And I was having a particularly bad day uh, because I had a really sore throat. So I decided that I would do what you can only do with a keyboard like this rather than an actual piano. And with a keyboard like this, there's a transpose button on it. So you can, you know, if you're playing in the key of G, you can press the transpose button uh, to make it go lower, and then you'll be playing in the key of F sharp without having to learn the song in a different key, which I know that makes sense if you're musical, but might not if you're not. Um, But it just meant that the song could be pitched lower, and it wouldn't be such a strain on my voice. So I thought, that's a great idea. It was just me playing, no one else but the, me on the keyboard, and, um, and then me singing. So the song came and went, and it was, it was great. It was no problem at all. And then a little bit later came the music uh, to, that we were playing while this couple was exiting the ceremony. This was their exit music, trumpet voluntary, if ever you've heard that. There was a small problem, and that was at that song, it wasn't just me playing, but it was me playing and a trumpet player. And guess who had forgotten to turn the transpose button off the keyboard, right? That would be me. Okay, so instead of, so what, what kind of happened, this, you know, this couple, the pastor's like, I now pronounce you man and wife, and off they go, and it was you had something that sounded like this. Did that sound right to you? Right, there's something wrong with that, right? And so we got through that whole section of that song, and then I'm looking at the trumpet player thinking, what is he doing? Why is he playing in the wrong key? Why is he playing in this key when we should be playing in this key? And when it, was, it was 100% my fault. So you get me playing in this key, and you get Joe over here on the trumpet playing in this key, and you just got utter disaster for the whole section of this song as this couple's preparing to exit the room. About that part of the song, we get to this point where I realize, that's right, I have the transpose button on. I should turn that thing off now. And so you'd think that everything would get better because I go from there to here, and then we're both in the same key. But it was at that point that Joe realized, for some reason, Colin's playing the song in B instead of C. So maybe I'll transpose down. So, So this went to this which is equally as awful, right? No better. All right? Awful. We got to the third part of that song, just a beautiful part of that song, and finally, I, you know, I realized where he was, he realized where I should be, and we're... And everybody had left by then, and the couple's gone, and like their wedding is cursed, doomed to disaster, and you have there the worst exit music in the history of wedding exit music, right? It was a horrible moment. I'm sure there's a video of it somewhere that they're trying to post-edit or something. They're, they're still together, just you know, by a thread. Um, it's, very sim- it's a very, very simple mistake. 
But one half step, one instrument, one half step off caused utter disaster. One small degree, one degree of difference, the smallest change can make an enormous difference. I think some of us often say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to give my life for you. And there's just a lot of, your, lot of things in your word that are just hard to take. There's just a lot of things that I see in scriptures as I study your word. You know, Jesus, I'm committed to you. What would you like me to do? But Jesus, let's, let's not get too fanatical, shall we? Let's keep things in balance a little bit. And I want to read a passage of scripture today that I feel like should impact all of us in some way. Um, and it is a, it's the experience and conversion and baptism of an Ethiopian man. The Bible talks about him being a eunuch who made a radical change to follow Jesus. It's in Acts chapter 8. He's, this guy, to give you a little backdrop, this guy's literally only ever seen parts of the Old Testament. He's never seen the Bible that you have in your hand today or that you, that you read. He's never seen the New Testament. He's never read any of the accounts of Jesus or any of the letters that Paul wrote or anything like that. He's literally only read some of the history and some of the prophets from the Old Testament. He's had just one meeting with a follower of Christ. No long-term relationships, no... no no experience of followers of Jesus in any way, but one profound experience that changed his life forever, changed everything. This passage of Scripture starts out uh, with Philip, who was one of the servants of the early church, and, and, and it describes his ability as an evangelist, as one who's committed to sharing his faith in Jesus Christ to people who don't know Jesus yet and the impact that he had. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says this. Then the Lord's angel said to Philip, Now go south from Jerusalem on the desert road to Gaza. He left immediately on his assignment. Along the way, he encountered an Ethiopian who believed in the God of the Jews and who was the minister of finance for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was on his way home from worshiping God in Jerusalem. As as he rode along in his chariot, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk alongside that chariot. Okay, now let me pause here for a minute. If you think, well, I've read this passage of Scripture, I'm not sure there's anything in here that, that I can learn from this. I want you to read those, those last six words. That the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk alongside the chariot. This is the only part of this passage of scripture where you hear God directing anything. Even amidst all the incredible things that are about to happen, you see six words of God nudging this guy, Philip, and saying, you know what? You might have thought you were just on, a, on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. You were just walking down this road, and a chariot comes by, but see that chariot? Go walk alongside that chariot. That right there could be the message for some of us today. Not to go look for a chariot or anything, but it could be that in our day-to-day life, God is trying to drop moments of his direction into our lives. And we can just ignore them, or we can be listening and thinking, Lord, is that, is that your direction? It could be you're on I-95 and God redirects you. It, I mean, we'd all like some kind of heavenly GPS at some point, right, if it just would just get us out of traffic. I don't think that's God's plan here, although it'd be awesome. But sometimes, just in the course of our day, if we're listening, God wants to direct us for the benefit of incredible things happening that could be as simple as the experience that Philip had. Go walk. God wasn't, God wasn't telling Philip, go do this incredible thing. He was just giving him a very simple directive. Hey, Philip, go walk alongside that chariot. And maybe 
your subtle, simple obedience to me is going to change everything. Now, that wasn't the point, but I'm going to carry on reading. I just wanted to pause there for a second. Verse 30 says, so Philip ran to catch up. As he drew closer, he overheard the man reading from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked him, sir, do you understand what you're reading? The man answered, how can I possibly make sense of this without someone explaining it to me? So he invited Philip up into his chariot to sit with him. The portion from Isaiah he was reading was this. He was led away to the slaughter like a lamb to be offered. He was led like a lamb that is silent before those who sheared him. He never even opened his mouth. In his lowliness, justice was stripped away from him. And who could fully express his struggles? For his life was taken from the earth. The, the Ethiopian and Philip are reading an Old Testament uh, chapter of Scripture that prophetically speaks about Jesus. It was written 700 years before Jesus even walked on the, on the earth. But it's Isaiah 53, incredible messianic passage of the Bible that talks about the suffering that Jesus would go through. In verse 34, the, Epio, the Ethiopian asked Philip, please, can you tell me who the prophet is speaking of? Is it himself or another man? And Philip started with this passage and shared with him the wonderful message of Jesus. As they were traveling down the road, the man said, look, here's a pool of water. Why don't I get baptized right now? And Philip replied, if you believe with all your heart, I'll baptize you. And the man answered, I believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of God. The Ethiopian stopped his chariot and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So look at this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. He's got no offspring, no in-laws, no family. He's probably of a lower social status because back in that days, if you didn't have a family or a spouse or in-laws and that kind of thing, you were, you were sort of considered a you didn't quite fit into any of the groups. He would have been a bit of a loner. He's African, so he looks different from the majority of the Jews in Jerusalem. He, he, he was a, a Gentile man, a non-Jewish man, who had fully converted to Judaism. Uh, it, and, and then he's in Jerusalem going up to worship. He's probably been surgically altered. He's a, he's a gender variant of a man. And the translation for this word eunuch actually means a bedkeeper. And in his... His situation uh, um, relating to the, the, the king and queen of Ethiopia in whose court he worked, he was probably the, the manager of the king's consorts, of the king's harem. Like Guys back then had a lot of women, and uh, this Ethiopian would have been considered kind of a safe bet to, to have around. So this man's like a combination of being a social outcast, but also extremely wealthy. He's the minister of finance for, for Ethiopia as well. And he's traveling back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, a journey of a couple of thousand miles. He's presumably had a pretty empty trip as well. He's like, if it was you too, he's like he still hasn't found what he's looking for because he's heading back to Ethiopia, reading an Old Testament part of the scriptures and not understanding it, not knowing what's going on. He's still seeking must have had a serious amount of money to have been able to own or hold a scroll of the Old Testament scriptures himself. People just didn't have that. But somehow he's got this Old Testament scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he's reading this portion of the, of the Old Testament. And Philip steps, steps in. He's like, do you know what you're reading? And, you know, maybe that, that's God's call to us. Do you know when we, we, we see or hear people talking about spiritual things, that God opens an opportunity for us to say, well, 
well, can I explain that to you? Or do you, you know, what's your perspective on this? On share what we, we, we understand in terms of Jesus. And this, this Ethiopian says, like, how, can I, how can I make sense of this? This is like 700-year-old passage of Scripture. How am I supposed to know what this is about unless somebody interprets it for me? And the prophet's describing a time when the Messiah, the coming Messiah, will lay down his life. Verse 35 said that Philip started with this passage and shared with him the wonderful message of Jesus. All of a sudden, the pieces got put into place for this Ethiopian man who was just reading these Old Testament scriptures. And Philip's able to say, listen, this, this Messiah that it's talking about, it's Jesus. And there's this point, at some point, where this Ethiopian man, based on one meeting with a guy he's never met before on the road, accepts the gospel accepts who Jesus is and makes him his Lord. And verse 36 says, as they were traveling down the road, the man said, look, there's this, like a pool of water. Why don't I get baptized right now? And Philip replied, if you believe with all your heart, I'll baptize you. And he, and he baptized him. Philip and this Ethiopian man experienced what I believe is the, the most normal, the, the most simple next step of obedience for any follower of Jesus to take, to be baptized. There was no hype. There was no ceremony. There was no magic. There was, there was barely any people. There might have been a chariot driver as, as well as uh, Philip, and, Philip and the Ethiopian and maybe some staff or people that were with him. But there was a clear and simple obedience, obedience step that's reflected all over the New Testament at other times in the book of Acts where you see baptism mentioned. And I want to be sure that at Anthem, we wouldn't be considered a people that is willing to take one degree of difference from what the Bible actually says and from the way that Bible actually, the Bible actually calls us and directs us to do. So I want to say a few things about it. You know, the first thing is that, the, that, that baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't infer Christianity upon you. The book of Romans, as, a, as clear as it could possibly be, um, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation, our rootedness in Christ and our, our security in Christ takes place as a result of our confession of who Jesus is and our belief that God raised him from the dead. That's what results in our salvation, nothing else. Ashley was preaching a couple of weeks ago. She was talking about the, the thief that was on the cross. You know, Jesus was, was dying on the cross in, in, in the center of two other uh, individuals being punished for serious crimes, uh, being uh, put to death. And one of them who, who, who recognizes his sin, recognizes his guilt and his need for a savior, looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm a broken man. I got nothing. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two individuals that were about to face death with no other option, and one could confirm to the other today without any baptism, today without you know, any ceremony, without any ritual, because you've put your trust in me, you're going to be in paradise today. Your, your eternity is sealed. And so... I don't believe that baptism creates or, or, or makes uh, salvation for us because it's, it's already taken place. What it does is that baptism aligns me with Christ in a way that salvation doesn't. The baptized, when I'm baptized, I'm baptized into Christ. So I want um, 
I want to illustrate using something in my wallet. I've got my, uh, this is my healthcare card. Imagine that this healthcare card represents you. It's got my name on it, but imagine that this represents you, and imagine that my wallet represents Christ. Nothing weird about it. It's just the first two objects that I could figure out that came into my mind. But when we, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ. So anything that happens to this wallet happens to you. Anything that happens to the wallet happens to the car. Anything that happens to Christ happens to you. I'm, I'm, I'm united with Christ in this mystical way. Galatians 3.27 says that for all of you who were baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. It's like you've been surrounded by Jesus in every way. You've clothed yourself in him. So, when, so, so, so everything happens to the, this wallet happens to the, to the piece of card inside it. When Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was buried, your old self was buried. When Jesus rose from the dead, you rose from the dead into new life with him. That's why we sing that song here, resurrecting. You know, by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name, I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. It's not sacrilegious to say that we're being resurrected. It's, it's what God has, has mystically and spiritually done for us. When we are in Christ, we become resurrected with him. That's why when, when people are baptized, they, the, the symbolism is that they go down into the water and that, that their old man, the old flesh, the old sin is removed and we are raised to new life in Christ. The water signifies us being cleansed from sin and it signifies us being buried, uh, being dead and buried and raised up in the resurrection with Jesus. Baptism should always follow the biblical instruction, the biblical mandate. And unfortunately, for hundreds of years, churches of multiple traditions have just been veering off by one degree of difference that ends up changing the, the, the meaning and the, 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 the way that baptism is done so much. It doesn't, need a, it doesn't need a collar. It doesn't need a pastor or a priest to baptize you. We love to baptize people at Anthem. We love to be part of that experience with people when they say, I'm following Jesus. I want to be dead to my old self, and I want to be raised up in Christ. Why wouldn't I take that next step of obedience in Jesus? It doesn't necessarily require a class to happen, but every follower of Jesus from the first group of followers on the hilltop with Jesus till now have been called to do one thing, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus didn't just ask me to do that. He didn't just ask a few preachers to do that. He asked every single one of us to make disciples of people around us. If you came to me and said, hey, I've been mentoring this guy for the last six weeks, and I think he wants to make a decision to follow Jesus, can we get him baptized? Can we fill a tank or a pool or go to a hotel and find, find that? I'd be like, go ahead. Like, don't, don't, like, don't wait for ceremony to baptize somebody. I want to celebrate any follower of Jesus that, that, that has the opportunity to follow, to, to baptize another individual, another follower of Jesus. 
You know, uh, it doesn't necessarily re- require a class to make it happen. I've never hindered someone from being baptized who, who declares, I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead. Because that, in the, in the New Testament, that seems to be the only prerequisite for somebody getting baptized. They're not getting baptized into anthem. They're not getting baptized into a church. They're getting baptized into Christ. And, and so often, and this is looking back at my previous years in a different church in Michigan, we do baptisms. And if people, if people came, they, they, they showed up and they weren't planning on getting baptized that day. But they're like, you know what? Why wouldn't I do this? I, I've been in multiple situations where we've baptized people and they've gone home wet. You know, a little chilly in the winter, but they've gone home soaked because, you know, there was an opportunity. Life walked by and they weren't going to miss out on it. They wanted to take the opportunity to be baptized. If somebody, uh, the, the, the man answered, I, the, this Ethiopian man said to Philip, he said, I believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of God. And Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, I'll baptize you right here and now. You think this guy understood everything that there was to know from beginning to end about the Bible, about, about sin, about life, about death, about all these things that, that are so, so much important parts of our faith. He didn't understand any of this. He had one scroll of one prophet from the Old Testament, and even that he didn't understand. But one experience with a follower of Jesus was enough for him to say, I want my life baptized into Christ. Do you think he wrestled with the arguments for and against the resurrection? Well, I'm not sure if I believe with what this church believes on that. No, he's like, here's water. Is anything stopping me from being baptized? He'd met a, a genuine follower of Christ who'd explained and led him to Jesus. It's like, there's water over here. In, in one of the translations of the Bible, it says, is anything stopping me from getting baptized? Maybe he'd look at his own situation. He's like, I'm a I'm in this kind of odd situation where I'm in the, the king and the queen's court, but I don't fit in in so many ways. There could be so many things stopping me from getting baptized. And, and Philip makes it real clear. If you believe with all your heart, then I'll baptize you. He'd met a genuine follower of Christ who'd been willing to listen to the simple direction of Jesus. And, 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 and with that, with that alone, he was ready to follow Jesus and be baptized. You know, your baptism hasn't, hasn't, if you've been baptized, your baptism didn't make you a Christian. I'm sorry to burst your bubble in some of you, but some of our Christian traditions, multiple Christian traditions for hundreds of years have been implying that our baptism is what makes us a Christian. And I want to bring the, the deepest respect to traditions that we hold so deeply, uh, and especially with regards to things like infant baptism, um, that Many of you have been baptized as infants. Uh, many of you looked back on that and thought, well, I was, I was done. Well, to bring the deepest respect to what might have been um, uh, inferred on you by your parents, but also even deeper respect, hopefully, to what we see in Scripture. You can look anywhere throughout the Bible. You're not going to see infant baptism taking place. And so I want some of us to think about what that might mean for us. I mean, you can carry on with the tradition and I'll support families that want to do that. I won't perform it, but I'll, 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 I'll go if somebody invites me. But you can squash a tomato on someone's head and it has just as much effect. You know what I mean? Because it's not in the scriptures to baptize people who don't follow Jesus. Your baptism hasn't made you a Christian. There's no evidence of it in the Word of God. Following Jesus has always... In every, every, in every occasion, has been the choice of the individual. I remember my, my personal experience was this. When I, 
when I was 14. This was like August of 1982. I know, I'm old. I'm like, I'm, I know that some, for some of you, like, was that the year the Titanic sunk or something? But like, you know, okay, I was alive then. I was 14 years old. Do the math. But I, I decided at 14 years old to follow Jesus. I made that commitment to make him Lord of my life. It was at the end of a service, and I talked to a few of the leaders, and I was just sitting in this little space here on my knees, crying for about 45 minutes. The, the sense of God's presence was so real, and the understanding that I had of my sin that separated me from God and my need for a Savior, I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. And uh, within a month, I'm like, i got to get baptized. Uh, it was 26th of September, the following, the following month, that I... I had an opportunity at our church to get baptized. I'm like, I am all in. And five or six of us did the same thing that day. A baptism always follows that choice to make Jesus as Lord. It's an outward expression, maybe only to two or three people, but it's an outward expression of an inward change, of that inward commitment where you've begun to realize, yes, I'm making Jesus Christ my Lord. And it seems like the first step that God asks us to take in obedience to him is that step that seems to make no difference at all. What's, what's with the water? Is it magic? Is, is, does anything happen like the, the church does? Do they electrocute me or something like that? It's just, it's water. You know, it could be, could be run from regular faucets from a bath. But God asks us sometimes to do things that less let us know and him know that his ways are higher than our ways in our lives, even if they don't make sense. On the very first day that the church, that the, that the global church was launched on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, you read about the Holy Spirit coming in a unique way that they had never experienced before. And then Peter, the, the apostle, starts to preach and starts to preach and say, like, you Jews have crucified this Messiah who is Lord and Christ. And the Bible says in Acts, 32 verse, Acts 2 verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. There was like these two things to do. The first thing is repent. Turn away from what you've been doing. Turn, go a different direction. Repent and then be baptized. And, and the... the uh, uh, the, the, the book of Acts says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine this birth of the church? Forget Anthem's one-year anniversary. Like, pfft, compared to this, this was incredible. The Holy Spirit comes, like, drenches an entire community of Jerusalem in the presence of God. And 3,000 people not only, like, say, I think I'm in. They are ready to get baptized that day. You've got, like, 12, 11, you've got 12 uh, um, disciples and a, you know, a bunch of others that are like, we've got to baptize these people. And they're like, I don't know where the river was or what, but they, they found some water and they lined them up. And one after the other, 3,000 baptisms in a day. How awesome is that, right? Imagine that picture. And for those people, they're like, life just walked by. We are not skipping out on this and going to lunch. We are I want this whole experience. I want the whole enchilada here because I am committing to following Jesus Christ. Now, this can be for some, this can be a hard teaching. It can go against our tradition. 
it can go against what we for so long have thought the scriptures had said. But let me tell you this. I believe that, that baptism for us can be the first of many, many, many hard teachings that, that God calls us to submit to him in. It can be the, the first of many opportunities that we get to say, God, you are God. And I'm not. You are in charge and your ways are higher than my ways. And sometimes I I experience this myself, but I see it so much with people around me that we want to follow Jesus in the way that we want to follow him rather than the ways that I believe he wants us to follow him. It's kind of like our finances, you know. Uh, Quick Side note to, to mention our offering this morning, but as, as you know, we receive an offering here every Sunday. We have a box at the back for your gifts, and if you like to write a check or cash, that's a great place for that. Alternatively, if you give regularly to Anthem uh, as, as part of your worship to God, we have the opportunity for online giving as well through anthemchurch.life slash give. And I say that right here because I believe that our giving is a, a giving to God and giving in the way that God asks us to give to him through our tithing, through our 10% as the, as the beginning of serving God in our finances, of putting him first. I believe that is us learning to worship God in a way that he's asking us to worship him, not in the way that we'd like to worship him. Anybody home? Tough one, isn't it? It's tough to learn to follow Jesus in ways that he's calling us. Whether you earn $100 a month or 20000 God asks us to commit the first 10% of what, of what he gives us, of what is, what is his, that he gives to us to steward for him. He asks us to give it back to him through his kingdom's work. There's, there's, there's nothing more simple about it than, the, than our obedience and faith. You think God gets the money? No, God doesn't need any money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But I know that many of you here have been, have been growing in that experience of saying, I trust God with my finances because I believe that I want to honor God in the way that he's calling me to honor him, not by me being the, not be my, me being the boss of my finances. There was a, a, a preacher in the 1800s, or the late 1800s, uh, his name was Billy Sunday, and uh, he was a, a major league baseball player, and uh, played for the, the team that was sort of the precursor to the Pittsburgh Pirates in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and when he came to Christ at the beginning of the 1900s, this guy, Billy Sunday, uh, was, became a, a preacher, became a preacher that would go all across America. Ever heard that Frank Sinatra song, Chicago? Like some of you older folks, Chicago, Chicago, the town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. Remember that? No? Seriously? There's nobody? Okay, I'm going to play the song. No, I'm not. Um, But um, it's a great song, and there's this line, the town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down, because Billy Sunday, as a preacher, went all the way across the United States. There he is. Like, he had these very sort of, um, I mean, okay, so he lifted one leg. But, like, he had all these, these, like, extreme ways of communicating the gospel of Jesus. He's the sort of guy that would be playing, you know, playing a song in two keys on stage or something. But, like, 100 years ago, that was, like, you know, amazing. But... 
like Billy Sunday, was a radical preacher that would preach repentance. He preached against sin in multiple ways, and he had this this uh, this way of uh, he had this. He was known for bringing hard, difficult teachings to people that were hard for them to take on board. In 1916, Billy Sunday came to Boston. <clears throat> And he preached over the course of 10 weeks in a, in a tent that was put up on Huntington Avenue, just up the road from the library, in Boston Public Library. He preached to 1.5 million people in Boston in 1916. It's said that 65,000 people made personal decisions to follow Jesus and were baptized in 1916 because of the, Boston, because of the revival led by Billy Sunday. And, but he said this phrase, and this phrase, he said this, I found this phrase the other day, and it's kind of stuck with me the last few days. He, he was like, I told you, he was a tough preacher. He said this. He said, they tell me I rub the fur the wrong way. But he's like, I don't. He's like, I think the cat should just turn around. You know? Like, maybe I bring the kind of teaching that is tough, but maybe it's because we're going the wrong direction. Maybe we just need to be people who say, you know, Jesus, I know this is, this is, this is like rubs up, me up the wrong way. This is dif- different to my tradition. But I'm going to make that declaration to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And so I believe as a follower of Jesus, and I want to encourage all of us today, if you haven't been baptized, like in the words of Nike, just do it. You know, like take that next step. Because why wouldn't we want to... Um, uh, Worship and honor and serve Jesus in the way that he is calling us to worship, honor, and serve him. It's a natural next step for the believer. If you've been baptized as an adult and you've already made that decision, as a, when I say an adult, I mean as a person who made that choice themselves to be baptized. Maybe you're six years old and you could understand, yes, I confess Jesus is my Lord. But you've made that choice to be baptized. I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to we're going to, you could do it between now and then, but we're going to host a baptism on, on, on November 15th. It's a Friday night, and we often use the church Heritage Park in, in um, Heritage Park here in Burlington. Uh, they have a baptism tank. And I would love to encourage any, one of, any, any of you who feel like you would like to get baptized that night. You can go on our Church Center app. Uh, you can talk to somebody at the back this morning and we'll tell you where on our website to sign up for baptism. You can talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about it. But I want to encourage every one of us here today to ask this question. Am I immersed in Jesus Christ? Has, am I dead to my old ways? Have I put that behind me? Am I immersed in Jesus Christ to the point where I say, He's my Lord. I'm living in resurrection life for Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand. Let's stand together. We're going to uh, worship as we uh, conclude our service this morning. But let me encourage you, as, as, as much as you might be willing to sing, as much as you might be willing to share communion on occasions where we've done communion together, if, if those things are easy for you, I want to just say, let's follow Jesus in the way that he calls us to follow him and take these natural next steps. Now, God, Jesus. Name.